Welcome to the Downhouse podcast, where you can learn more about Downhouse School. Whether you're new to the community or an old friend, we'll be delving deeper, sharing stories and finding out what it really means to be a pupil at Downhouse. In our third series, we'll be talking to our wonderful alumni. And in this episode, our host, Simon Jones, talks to Libby Bruin, class of 2008, about the importance of resilience one of the characteristics in our DNA. Libby, thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Great. Well, thank you for having me. Sorry, I was a bit rushed. Clinic overran and a bit of a sprint cycle home, but I'm glad to be here. Well, I appreciate you being here, especially here we are in the evening. I mean, it's 20 past six in the evening. How far from work are you and what were you doing today at work, if you're able to share that with us? Luckily, I'm just a cycle away, which is really nice, especially as the evenings are getting a bit lighter. Today, I was in clinic, so no operating today, but it was we kind of do split in-person and telephone clinic. So it was a a joint clinic, uh, but as per usual, it overran a bit. So again, Mm -hmm. sorry for keeping you late. No, no trouble at all. No trouble. Okay, so I'd love to understand then a little bit about when you were at Downhouse. So tell us which year you joined and which year you were in when you joined as well. Oh gosh, so that was a while, I think a while back, which is embarrassing to admit, but I came in at 12 plus and that was 2002 and I graduated in 2008. So I came in at 12 plus and it was the year that we went off to France for a term, which was fantastic. Okay. And then tell us a little bit about what happened after you left Downhouse. Where did you go after that? So having finished Downhouse, I went straight to university. I did a physical natural sciences degree at Cambridge uh, for three years. And I clearly wasn't quite done with academia. And I went back to do a medicine degree at the University of Warwick. And I've been working for the NHS since. Right. Gosh. And what was your first job in the NHS after you left Warwick then? So you start as a foundation doctor, FY1, which is, you know, the the most junior on the ward. And that was quite an eye-opening experience. So you get all all the bad jobs, all the paperwork, but it was was a brilliant year. And I worked in a a trust in London and it, it really was wonderful. But I guess at the same time, you get the opportunity to experience various aspects of the work that you'll be doing. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. In your first two foundation years, you rotate through different specialties. So you you rotate through four months, which is probably the perfect amount of time to get comfortable, figure out what you're doing, and then you get picked up and put in a whole new team in a whole different department and you're starting at square one again. So Mm -hmm. it is quite disconcerting, but you learn the amount when you look back on on what I learned in the the first two years, it's Mm. just incredible. So at the time it was kind of fight or flight, you're trying to survive, but you do learn a lot. And you're a urologist now, is that right, in Southampton? Yes, so I decided to pursue, I went into surgical training and I've specialised in urology and I'm currently based uh, down in Southampton. And for those people listening to this that don't know what urology is, just give us in a snapshot. It's a surgical specialty working on the urinary tract, so from the kidneys downwards, so kidneys, ureters, bladder. A lot of our population are men in terms of prostate, prostate cancer, but a lot of female issues as well with incontinence, bladder cancer. So it's quite a wide variety and a quite spectrum of operations, which I think is why I love it. So any day can be different and any list can be different from big open Mm. pelvic surgery to quite small kind of microvascular procedures and also endoscopic surgery. So kind of kidney stones. So I think I love Mm. the variability in day to day. And very valuable work it is too. 
Very valuable. Okay, so I'd love to understand then, given the fact that we're talking about resilience on this episode, which is one of the DNA strands within Downhouse. Looking at that aspect, looking at resilience within Downhouse, tell us a little bit about how you see that playing out in your work. I think resilience is one of these, I don't know if it's a new term, I I, I don't really remember it at Down or at university, but it's definitely cropped up in the last couple of years. And especially in the NHS, it's thrown around a lot and we have resilience training. And I mean, the way I understand it, it's being able to adapt and to change depending on certain circumstances that are thrown at you. And I wasn't initially very good at change or adapting, but I think recently in the work through the pandemic, that's where I've really had to address address that. And I was moved from surgical specialty to ITU to help out the teams there. And that was completely new. So I had to change how I approached that. I think with resilience, we've got to be careful. It's not kind of used in a negative connotation and and everyone's expected to have this resilience. But I also think it's okay to to not always be coping and to use your support system to help you. So it's one of these tricky terms. I think it is important to kind of pick yourself up uh, after a setback, kind of reflect back on it, how you could have approached it differently, what can change, but not to kind of throw it at an individual. Sometimes Mm. it it can be the organisation that, or the process that needs to change rather than someone having more resilience. Interesting. Yeah. No, very good point. Tell us then what it was like being on that front line, because it's, you know, in the media, we we heard lots about what it was like on the front line and the need for people to be resilient. I mean, I don't know whether the media actually used that word <laughs> at all, but but I wouldn't be surprised if some of them did. But give us your experience of what it was like there on that front line. So I, I was a surgical trainee at that point and things were a bit different because all the elective surgery stopped. So that's why some people were redeployed. So I was initially redeployed to ITU, which was completely new for me. It was a job I haven't had to do. It was out of my comfort zone. And as I said, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't very good at change and, and having something new. And I think everyone was going through the same thing because this was new to everyone from mm. consultants all the way down. So there was a lot of unease and guidelines were changing, uh, you know, as we were learning more and more about um coronavirus. So I think I had to rely a lot on my training from a junior doctor, but also just kind of just take a step back and not put too much pressure on myself and actually just, you know, some days to say, okay, I'm, do- I'm doing okay, take one day at a time. And I had a brilliant team around me in hospital as well. Yeah, I guess having a solid team around you is always going to be a good thing, actually, no matter where you're working in life. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And you mentioned ITU. So just for clarification, that's intensive therapy unit. Is that right? Yeah. So this is the uh, intensive care unit. And this is where it was a a COVID ICU. So uh, full PPE and dealing with with really quite sick patients. So uh, that was all new to me. I was then moved back to surgery quite swiftly after um, because we still had surgical, emergency surgical cases. And people were tend to presented uh, later and sicker, having been kind of put off because of the bans people thinking oh, it'll go away so actually we were finding in the surgical world that people were presenting later and things had been missed which which led to a few more complications was it scary in the early days i don't know if scary is the right word it was it was the unknown so i think it was it was unsettling and uneasy for everyone but i think the fact again that the whole team was in the same boat and i had some brilliant consultants leading us that really helped and I remember how they managed it so I think that stopped any kind of day-to-day fear but I think everyone around the country no matter what you were doing at that time it was it was just the fear of the unknown really. 
Okay, so I'd love to go back a little bit earlier in your career and even back to your time at school and uh, just to look at the subject really of making mistakes because we understand and we're always taught that making mistakes is is a large part of that learning process. Yeah. And mistakes that we make have the power to teach us something important. So can you remember a time either at school or earlier in, in your career where you've made any mistakes? I think my, uh, I guess my main mistake... The problem is mistakes, you look back at them and they seemed huge at that time and, you know, life ending, career ending. But actually, when you look back at them, it's all a learning experience. But I think my first year of university, I didn't do as well as I had hoped. And I think I was trying to do everything and play sport for the university, you know, as well as make friends and socialise. And I think I realised that I, I couldn't do it all and I had to be more self-directed and kind of prioritised. So that was a, a big learning curve for me. I hadn't had much failure up to then. And that was a, a time that I had to be, OK, I, I know I can perform better and be a mm. bit more disciplined in what I was able to do. So then I guess more importantly, what did that teach you? You know, it wasn't the end of the world. I had a fear of failing that, you know, that was it. But actually, I, I realised, you know, that I wasn't uh, achieving to the best of my ability. I know I could do better and I just had to prioritise and be more independent in my learning. So I had mm. to cut down on the amount of sport. I was trying to do two sports for the university. I realised I couldn't do it all. And, you know, just really think about what is important and, and, and what you wanted to achieve. And for me, I knew I um, deserved a better degree than I had got in my first year. So uh, that was something that I really worked hard towards. And I guess that need to prioritise is, is always something that's helpful in life. Yeah. And which of the two sports did you drop in that case? So I, I was trying to do lacrosse and netball and I realised, uh, you know, I needed to sleep as well. So <laughs> I continued with netball and was able to kind of put a bit more time into my studies. But let's talk about goals then. Did you have any goals when you were at school about things you wanted to achieve, things you wanted to do in life? I don't know if I had any specific goals about what I wanted to be or, or, or what I wanted to do. And I just I remember feeling excited about kind of getting ready to go to university. And I think I just wanted to feel challenged by whatever I was doing. I love the feeling of achieving something that you put work that you work towards. So Again, I, I wonder. I think I did natural sciences because uh, it was quite a broad degree, and I hadn't decided what I wanted to do. I didn't. I didn't like medicine in my work experience. I didn't want to be a doctor, so I went off and did physics and geology. I think I just just wanted to be challenged in that sense. To what extent were you challenged? Yeah, absolutely. Cambridge def definitely did challenge me, and. <laughs> um, but then the achievement at the end, when I you know got got the degree that I was capable of, uh, is there's nothing more rewarding. And I think that's what I kind of take into every challenge, whether that be academic, whether that be sporting. It's always worth the effort that you put in. It's going to be worth it in the end. And that, that feeling of, of achieving that is yeah second to none for me. And what was it about Cambridge that attracted you to applying and going there in the first place? I think it was the course. Natural sciences, again, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, so I didn't have to specialise and I was able to do maths, physics and chemistry. And I was encouraged uh, at Down to, to apply for, for Oxbridge and uh, I was successful. And it was, um, it was a great, uh, great degree. I think towards the end, I realised actually I was looking at rocks in the lab and I was like, I don't think this is what I wanted to do. And I did want to have a bit more human contact. And I went back and did work experience uh, in a hospital again. And the second time round, it was a completely different experience for me. So 
I don't know if I was maybe mature enough in my first mm. work experience to choose medicine first time round, but uh, I'm very glad I went back uh, and did it as a, a graduate medicine course. So you say the, the experience was different second time round. Do you, do you think that that was more because of you being a different person then, as opposed to the conditions being different? Yeah, I think the conditions were the same. I think I had changed. I think the second time round, I was... I wasn't sure I'd, I'd done uh, most of a degree. I, I kind of knew what I wanted. It was at GCSE level that we were doing work experience. You're not always going to know what you, what you want to do. And I think you're still growing as a person. So it was definitely me that changed rather than being on, on the ward. And you mentioned that your application to Cambridge was encouraged by, by Down, by the staff at Down. Uh, in what ways did you find that the encouragement helped, uh, you know, not just with university, but, you know, along different lines? I think just having that support when you when you're maybe doubting yourself and your ability which we're all bound to do just having that backup saying there's no reason why you can't apply there's no reason why you can't do this why not give it a go so you know even when and I kind of use use my support network for that now if I think oh actually can I do this you know sometimes you just need a bit of a reminder that you know you can so that was support from the staff and all those subjects were and then kind of the extra interview practice was really helpful. Sometimes people are slightly or to an extent put off applying to Oxbridge because they're they're a little bit concerned that it might just be too much work you know shorter terms and non-stop work when you're there. Mm. Was that your experience you know how did you find the, the balance between work and the social side of being at university? It was quite full on. It was, uh, even though it was only eight weeks, I know you think back now, it's like, oh, it's only eight weeks. How bad can it be? But there used to be this, I think it was week five blues. And someone said Mm. about it, what does that mean? And it really catches up with you. But so they are short, intense terms. Uh, And again, as I said, you you know, you need to prioritise looking after yourself, but also doing what you want to enjoy as well. Um, But it was it it, it was worth it in the end. I I would say to everyone, don't don't be put off by trying. There's no harm in trying. Uh, And I think you'd surprise yourself. Given that we're talking about resilience, I feel almost the need to shoehorn in a question about resilience at Cambridge. More genuinely speaking, do you think that you need to be resilient when you're at somewhere like Cambridge as opposed to another university where it might not be quite so intense? Yeah, I think, especially coming from down and by the end of the sixth form, you know, you're, everyone's, you know, a big fish in a small, small pond. You've been, you know, supported really well. You, you have a sense of your strengths, but also, you know, you are aware of your weaknesses as well. So you, you go into university, any university, you know, feeling ready to do it. And it, it was a bit of a shock. You know, I, I was pretty average in my, in my first year, as I said, and I think I, I wasn't used to failure. So to be able to say, hang on, this doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means I'm going to have to, sh- you know, shift my learning path a bit more independent and it and it worked out i've been told libby that you're a bit of a keen long distance runner and you were in the brighton marathon in 2019 and i think you're raising money for is it brighton and sussex nhs charity is that right yes yes it was a charity what was your experience then of running the brighton marathon it was brilliant. That was actually my second marathon. I did one a few years before in Amsterdam, but this was in Brighton where I was living at the time. And it, it, it was a great day. I had family and friends watching me. My dad came over from Bermuda to watch and it was um, just a great experience all around. And again, just the mm. achievement. You know, I wouldn't say I loved all the training in the dark, in the rain, but it was it was great. And so that was a full marathon, was it? Is that 26 point something miles? Yep, yep. So how did you find the time to train when you were building up towards that? 
Somehow, somehow you just, you just do. I, sport for me is a bit of an outlet for, for kind of stress and it clears my mind. And I think that's so important to have that, whatever that might be for, for someone else. It might be climbing, seeing friends. So for me, it's, I know I need that as part of my work-life balance. So, so I do find time to fit it because I never regret going out for a run. And whilst the marathon distances, I, I'm not regularly training those distances. It was definitely something I did, you know, manage to fit around work because I, I knew uh, how much it helped me. I guess we can all prioritise those things we enjoy doing, those things that we really want to do, and then probably deprioritise, you know, watching a bit of Netflix or something like that. If that's what we want to do, you know, going out, going out and doing a run because we're training for a marathon, then we'll find a time to do it. We'll find a way to do it. Yeah. And do you still run now in that case? Yes, I'm into my triathlons at the moment. So uh, combining kind of swimming and cycling. Uh, and again, it, it's just something that helps clear my head. I kind of notice it. If I've had a really busy week at work and I haven't managed to get any runs and I do find myself, you know, taking things on a bit and I, I need to clear my head. So I've got a competing for actually GB age group in Montreal in the summer. So oh, it was postponed from last year. So I've had to keep my training up. So that's something I'm looking forward to this summer. I guess one of the benefits of, of something like that being postponed is that you do have to keep your training up, which means you stay fitter and healthier in the meantime. I know. At the time, I was like, oh, brilliant, I can stop training. But <laughs> I also need to take it up again. <laughs> OK, and then just one last question about your work. Clearly, you're, you said you're a urologist right now. Is, is that where you see your future lying or do you see yourself changing what you do and maybe finding a different area working in a different hospital? Yeah, so we do change hospitals quite a bit. I'd like to stick to this area, but I uh, know I have chosen urology as a specialty. I think it's quite an exciting surgical specialty, really varied, uh, and the colleagues I work with are, are just brilliant. So, yeah, this is what I'm going to stick with. I don't know what I'm going to subspecialise in yet. I'm still kind of learning different aspects of, of urology, and I'm currently on paediatric urology, so that was quite eye-opening, but it's definitely urology for me. <laughs> And as a last last question, yeah. for someone who's currently at Downhouse, maybe listening to this right now, and they're thinking about what to do for their career and what to do at university that's going to help them achieve whatever they want to achieve in their career, what advice would you give to somebody? I think it's okay not to know what to do. I remember thinking after my first degree, I don't, it's not what I want to do. And I remember going back to university, I really had to think about if this is what I did want to do. So I think it's important it's okay not to know and as long as you do your best but then go for the go for the challenges don't ever think you can't do something or oh I don't want to change career because it's going to be a challenge challenge yourself I think you'll always be surprised and and I don't tend, think you'll tend to regret it sound advice that really does sound good Libby we need to bring this to a close in a moment but I just wanted to say thank you for being here thanks for opening up your world to us and talking about your experience not just of resilience but your experience at Downhouse when you were a girl there thank you very much thank you for having me so that's it for this episode to find out more check out the school's website downhouse.net and our next episode is coming out soon but in the meantime thank you for listening to this one don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.